0: Good evening, I'm Alex Mosed, you're here on Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. And uh, so today I was at the New York Times Dealbook Conference, and there's a couple of just main topics today. Um, I wasn't able to stay the whole day, uh, but there's two main speakers, and I wanted to kind of touch on what they talked about. And... Make some sense of all of it. So one fellow in particular, this guy here, Makan, he's a Persian guy. I'm part Persian, too. And he's the assistant attorney general in the antitrust division at the U.S. Department of Justice. Basically, if anyone is going to make the argument that uh, big tech platform companies, i.e. monopolies, Tech Monopolies, Modern Monopolies is the book, are actually monopolies. It's going to be this guy. So as you can imagine, I was listening quite attentively to what he was saying. Um, and we're going to get to that in a second. What is interesting is the same day that, that he's up there, this article came out uh, that lawmakers are studying leaked Facebook documents made public today. Basically, what these documents are, um, are saying is this. So Zuckerberg promised developers that they would be able to operate on a level playing field with Facebook. So this is about all the APIs that uh, Facebook would open up to developers and let them build software on top of those APIs and build functionality so you could log into an app and all these kinds of things. Before quietly removing their access to mission critical APIs, a plan dubbed, they had a name for it, plan was called switcheroo. Yeah, yeah, no, it's actually spelled switcheroo, um, like you would imagine, like kangaroo, but switcheroo. Uh, once the company had grown its user base, the documents reveal that then they would pull the switcheroo <laughs> and then basically um, pull out a lot of the meaty uh, API integrations. And so this was, this was a number of years ago. But what this goes back to is the central thesis that we talk a lot about on the show, which is not really talked much about anywhere else, that when platforms become tech monopolies, the consumer is still generally overall winning, like really winning, a lot of winning. Um, The people and the users that cannot, can be taken advantage of are the producers, the suppliers. In this case with Facebook, that's the developers. Uh, In Amazon's case, it's the third-party sellers. In uh, Google's case, it's websites on Google search or content creators on YouTube. Absolutely, you're seeing signs that uh, the producers are the ones that can actually be taken advantage of. So um, going back to what McCon was talking about, he actually brought up the fact that an Expedia uh, was complaining about having to pay billions of dollars in ads to Google because Google would otherwise cram down Expedia's um, Expedia's uh, search results, and in order to remain relevant, they basically had to pay this tax to Google, right? And Google had launched a competitive travel offering, right? Everyone knows that. Unfortunately, I think he's not making this connection. Actually, I'm pretty sure he's not making the connection. They took one question from the audience. That question was from Chris Hughes, the co-founder of Facebook, uh, who is very publicly now called for Facebook to be broken up. I also don't think that that's going to solve or get to the bottom of, of, what, of what the real problems are. And so um, what I wanted to ask Makan was, would you consider producers, uh, that could be a seller on Amazon, a, a website on Google, et cetera, would you consider producers to be a customer uh, right. If we look at who is paying Amazon, actually, it's the seller that's paying Amazon. And the seller's paying ten to twenty percent of the product that's that's purchased on Amazon. But Amazon isn't actually making money off of the sale from the consumer. They're actually making money off of the seller, and they get a take rate, and they charge the sellers uh, storage fees and and fulfillment fees and these kinds of things. The same thing on YouTube, where um, the content creators have to pay 45% of the ad revenue generated from uh, ads shown while people are watching the content creator's video to YouTube. Uh, Same thing is basically there on Google search with the Expedia example where Google crams down your search results, launches its own competitive product. In order for you to stay relevant, you have to, guess what? Pay Google a bunch of money in ads. So Andrew Sorkin, who hosts this conference, uh, all, all of these... All of these people, right? Andrew, Chris, Macan, they kept on saying, we need to view this through a different lens. The problem was the answer to the riddle is you need to view it through the lens of the producer. And when you can associate the producer to be a customer, now all of the antitrust precedent for the past 50 plus years fits directly into place. And what antitrust precedent looks at is, is the you are a monopoly if you have an outsized amount of market share. So now if you look at, hey, I'm a third-party seller. What other marketplaces, e-commerce marketplaces, can I go sell products on? Oh, um, that could be eBay. Depends on what you're selling. You have, um, you know, Goat and StockX for sneakers. You have Farfetch for luxury goods. The Real, Real also for luxury goods. Um, We've crunched those numbers. Amazon has over 70% market share of all of the uh, uh, outlet, right? If I'm a third-party seller, where can I go sell? Walmart too. Amazon has 70% of that market at least. Same thing is true on Google. If you are a website like Expedia, where can you get search traffic from? Google has probably more than 80% market share in that. Uh, Same thing on YouTube, right? If you are going to post this, uh, you know, video content, where else are you going to post video content, mid long form type of video content? Um, It's YouTube. They've they've got a 20 plus billion dollar revenue business in YouTube. So they absolutely have the market share. And then you say, well, are they disadvantaging the customer? And that's where McCon and all of these folks have been, you know, (laughs) <laughs> they're uh, they're looking at the shiny object and the shiny object is the consumer and they're looking at the wrong user. You need to look at the seller, the supplier, the producer. Uh, Chris Hughes actually used the word producer in his question to McCann, Um, but he didn't zero in on it and he didn't really call it out and say, let's just go at, let's, I don't want to say go after them, but let's just look at this. Are producers being disadvantaged by the platform can producers be classified as a customer, and does the platform have uh, much more than 50 percent market share in terms of the uh, available market for where a producer um, can you know can conduct business? All three of those questions are absolute yeses on every large tech monopoly that's in question in the media so honestly those I don't It was um kind of disheartening. I thought this was the guy. I thought I, I was gonna listen to him today on stage and or or he didn't really get there in the dialogue with Andrew. And I thought, oh, okay, with Chris, okay, we're this is a lock. Nope. It's not a lock. It's not resonating. This guy runs what the DOJ is looking at. If I am Facebook or Amazon, I guarantee every single one of the general counsels from these companies was watching this thing today. And they're looking at each other and like, we're good. They're not focusing on the right thing. It was it was very clear if you actually, and I, and I think the videos are up or, or will be up soon and you can watch this stuff. One other note here. So this I thought was interesting. Actually, one good thing I've kind of seen out of uh, government as it relates to uh, platform regulation, right? So this is a proposed law that requires platforms to allow opt-outs from personalized content, and this is called the Filter Bubble Transparency Act, introduced by Senator John Thune, a Republican, and co-sponsored by um, a, a Democrat Senator Mark Warner and Marsha Blackburn. We've got we've got five senators, three Republicans, two Democrats. Looks pretty, you know, as close bipartisan as you're going to get. And it would require large tech companies to disclose whether they display material to particular users based on personal data collected from them, including their web browsing and search history. This bill would also require the tech companies to offer a version of their services that doesn't return results based on personal factors like web browsing history. I like this. I think choice is a good thing. It, it's basically like giving users. Two ways to interact with the platform. Do you want the curated experience or the uncurated experience? And you give them choice. Uh, I actually don't really see any downfall. The only downfall I see from this is who is classified as a, quote, large tech company. Um, What we've seen with other regulation is when, when that definition is too expansive, To create this, it it takes significant resources, right? Um, You can't just whip this up and boom, it's a great product. Um, This takes significant resources. So even if you're a unicorn company, let's say you're Pinterest. If Pinterest would have to prescribe by this, I don't think that's a good thing. I think you're actually now helping the large tech monopolies because they have all the resources needed to do something like this and do it better or more aggressively or whatever, um, now it actually kind of starts to help them as a differentiator between the up-and-coming tech platform competition from something like a Pinterest, which we have seen articles now in in all of the recent earnings releases. Pinterest growth rate, Snap's growth rate, Amazon's growth rate in ad uh, revenue growth uh, uh, kind of vastly outpaces that of Facebook and Google. If it applies to all of those companies, except for Amazon, it should apply for Amazon in product search results, right? Because Amazon's absolutely favoring their own products, um, I'd say inappropriately or in a biased way. Um, If they have a product that's more expensive and has worse reviews, but it's their product, it'll still show up over another product with better reviews and that's cheaper. Um, So I like this. I think choice is good. With some caveat around who qualifies and who the burden falls onto. It should really just be on the tech monopolies uh, that something like this falls onto. Another easy way to figure out who is a tech monopoly and who is not a tech monopoly. Who is a platform conglomerate and who is not a platform conglomerate? So Facebook, Apple, who would this apply to? Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google. Um, Amazon, I was saying, they all have multiple different platform businesses that they've stacked up on top of one another. Twitter's probably the one fringe one. They've tried to do stuff with live streaming. Um, they they would probably be the one that's the most fringe case scenario. But if you look at a Pinterest, if you look at uh, a Snapchat, they aren't moving into multiple businesses Snapchat used to do that with uh, snap cash and these kinds of things, but it certainly had to um, uh, draw those things in now that investors, they're a public company. They just can't support that anymore, which is a great indication. So actually I take that back. Actually don't think you should apply to a Twitter. I don't think Twitter is a platform conglomerate. Um, I think Google Facebook and Amazon are absolutely platform conglomerates. I think Uber is a platform conglomerate. This doesn't necessarily apply to Uber, however, um, this bill. But uh, a Twitter, a Snapchat, a Pinterest, something like this presumably should not apply to them. Um, Let them grow. Let them focus on becoming a platform conglomerate. And then you can increase regulation on them. Okay, last topic literally everyone is so down on this company um we also had another persian guy i'm i swear i'm not biased on this uh dara ceo of uber former ceo of Expedia, gets marketplaces really really well um has been in the job for about two years now uh at uh at uber and I think he did a great job on stage. Um, He had some interesting data points that I was tweeting about. There he is. There's our guy. Dara and Andrew. I see that a little better. Um, And so he said 92% of Uber drivers drive less than 40 hours a week. What else did he say? Uh, The past two quarters saw 80% revenue growth And EBITDA from ride-sharing, it says ride-sharing, but ride-sharing increased from 17 to 62%. So let me explain this. What he was talking about was getting to profitability. And they were talking about how there's a lot of fallout just in the past really few weeks. WeWork really broke the firewall on this. That really has now changed the sentiment on Wall Street to be much less tolerable for high-growth Tech companies, WeWork was not a tech company, so it's not apples to apples. But high growth tech companies to be losing a lot of money. Still, that sentiment is carried over from WeWork to other tech, many platform companies that have gone public and are not profitable, and their stock prices have have gone down. Right, actually, even Andrew brought this up with Dara. You beat. You had a good earnings call. You actually beat on all accounts, uh, growth projections, revenue results. Ebitda results, and um, your stock still went down five or seven percent, right? So, and I think that's just generally the sentiment on Wall Street has changed in the past few weeks. Um, someone tried. Oh, okay, and then and then so Dara was explaining how he had put out a goal of 2021 Uber will be profitable, and that he felt very comfortable about being able to hit this, and and this was the example why. So he said. In the past two quarters, when they had 80% revenue growth, um, the, this is in ride sharing, the EBITDA went from 17 to 62%, right? So what he was saying is that 62% of that growth in ride sharing, all of that money fell straight to my bottom line, right? So that's effectively about 50%, right, of, of all of that money, of all the growth in dollars, flowed through to the bottom line. And so what he was then saying is, so for me to break even in two years and be profitable, I need to generate $8 billion in revenue growth over the next two years. And he's saying, I need 38% of that to drop to the bottom line. If we're projecting $8 billion in revenue growth, I need to solve for getting 38% of that additional 8 billion in revenue to go to the bottom line for me to be profitable. And so his point was, I just did 62% in the past six months. I feel very good about being able to do 38%. Does that make sense? And he was providing some more examples about why this was, that they were able to raise, guess what, their take rate um, on drivers. And there really wasn't a problem. They were able to raise prices and there really wasn't a problem. And he was just speaking to the strength of the ride-sharing business um, in their core markets and that now internationally in a lot of their traditionally growth markets um, they've put, they put an initiative in place that they said, Hey, in 18 months we need to be number one or number two in this market or we're leaving. So they left South Korea, for example, platforms are winner take all. Dara's saying, look, if we're not going to be number one or number two, we're not funding this anymore. We're out of here. And so they've put in a lot of mechanisms to drive profitability. Another example he gave was that they're starting to automate a lot of human manual tasks um, to now be able to rip out manual labor. They did a layoff of about a thousand people before all the WeWork stuff happened. He is ripping out costs from the company. He is uh, increasing basically their take rate, which means they make more money for every ride that's taken. Uh, I'm very confident in what Dara is planning to do with this plan. Especially because they're a platform conglomerate. He also spoke to how powerful the Uber Eats business was. But I won't get to that right now. Kara Swisher from Recode. Um, we're inside, by the way. She's wearing sunglasses. So Kara Swisher. And even when they gave her the mic to ask the question. She did not take the sunglasses off. And you think... I don't know, like you're inside and then Andrew even joked about you got sunglasses on, you okay? Did you have a a bender last night? Nope, I don't know, she kept them on. Okay. Um, So Kara Swisher with glasses, sunglasses on her face in a dark room in the the morning um, is now grilling the CEO of Uber. And she says, basically, she compares Uber to WeWork and so Dara cuts her off and says, hold on. We are nothing like we work. And then everyone started to laugh, rightly so, because it's a ridiculous comparison. Um, that was in my book, one point for Dara. Then she says, What is your, you've lost $7 billion, Dara. Your company is not sustainable. That's what she said to him not sustainable. You've lost $7 billion. Oh God, and this is my problem with the media and the fake news media, because let's go back to, okay, if you look at, if you look at Uber's P&L, you will see a $7 billion loss. You see that right here? Okay, it's there. You want to see what they actually lost on the operating level of the business? Here it is. It's $3 billion, 817, 869, 656, and 585. It's $3 billion. Why the discrepancy of four, four and a half billion dollars? Because it has to do with accounting, accounting um, for stocks and stock-based compensation and options. And these kinds of things that happens when you go public. And uh, and And actually just, I think, Today or yesterday, I don't know, this week, Uber employees and Uber investors, the lockup period ended. Uber employees or former employees could now sell their shares on the public market, right? So now you saw the Uber stock go down even more as a result because there's more supply. Um, anyway, it's fake news. The company isn't losing $7 billion in cash every year, right? And she said it's unsustainable. Wrong. Anyway, so he refuted that. But then she said, what's your AWS, Dara? Because, oh, by the way, your, your business is clearly not sustainable. What's your AWS? All right, she's just saying Amazon. So, so now she's comparing Uber to Amazon, which by the way, Amazon, this is also another widely misunderstood aspect of Amazon. Everyone says, oh, Amazon didn't make money for 20 years. Also wrong. Amazon was generating huge free cash flow for many, many, many years. Jeff Bezos didn't want that cash and those earnings to actually, didn't care about profit. But if he had wanted profit, he could have easily had profit. The point is, the business was generating free cash flow, which means if they had wanted profit, they could have just held on to the cash. What did he do with that cash? He reinvested it back into the business. And they built out, oh, by the way, a massive infrastructure and fulfillment and logistics network, which is reaping many, many, many rewards and benefits for them today. When you compare where Walmart is, Walmart literally has like maybe a fifth of the infrastructure as Amazon. How is that possible? Oh, that's because technically, yes, they weren't profitable. But the point is, if he had wanted to be profitable, he could have been. It would have meant that they would have lower growth. It would have meant that uh, he wouldn't have been able to make these investments, but they had a profitable business. And that was the same point that Dara was making was, she said, what's your AWS? He hit her with really good, uh, strong conviction and great delivery. It was, ride sharing is our AWS. I don't need an AWS. I have ride sharing and ride sharing is a great business. And ride sharing is going to make us a bunch of money come 2022. And um, then he also doubled down and said, oh, and by the way, Uber Eats is also another AWS for me because Uber Eats is also going to be a great and wildly profitable business for us. And we are killing it in Uber Eats. So um, I don't know. I think it's just more of these media kind of hit jobs where they like to go after the headlines. They like to say, oh, you lost seven, seven and a half billion dollars. Your business sucks. It's unsustainable. What's your new White rabbit that you're going to pull out of a hat called AWS. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so anyway, the media people in their sunglasses in a dark room in the morning, they get to get their laughs out of the crowd. But when you really want to look at saying, if if you have one question for the CEO of Uber, that's the question you're going to ask him. Hey, your business sucks. What's the new business that you're planning to spin out from your company? I mean, that's the question. It's, kind of, it's honestly a waste of time. Um, I thought Dara was really great. What I wanted to ask Dara, since I told you what I wanted to ask the uh, Department of Justice guy, was about transparency. And so I've mentioned before on the show that we're going to be filing a petition with the SEC about transparency. These numbers that I continue to go back through with Uber, we don't have these from Lyft. I can't go and show you their GMV, their gross bookings. And I can't show you here is uh, Lyft's take rate as compared to GMV and gross bookings. I have, I have no reference point about how much total throughput is, is growing on Lyft. And by the way, it's not just Lyft. It's Amazon as well. The only reason I know that Amazon is doing $277 billion in GMV in 2018, I don't know what they're doing in 2019. Uh, and that they have 58% of their market and and the goods sold on Amazon come from third-party sellers, is because Jeff Bezos decided to disclose it, not in the 10K, but in his uh, shareholder letter in April. So it's ridiculous that these platform businesses, um, that there's no standardized expectation about disclosing platform-specific KPIs, which, by the way, we've done the math and looked at the ETF. Over 70% of the platform's, Um, in the ETF have a concept of GMV. This could be marketplaces, right? Uh, For products or services. This could be payment platforms. Um, If you think about uh, a Visa, MasterCard, Amex, right? How much money flows through that system? Some of them do disclose this, but not uniformly. Um, If I think of, and, and there are product marketplaces like car product marketplaces that don't disclose this. There are, Alibaba doesn't disclose this. Uh, Amazon doesn't disclose this. Um, There are investment marketplaces for um, market access. They do disclose this. How much bonds, how much bonds did we trade? Uh, Development platforms like iOS or Android. When you want to try and calculate Apple's services revenue, you know what, you know what the majority of their services revenue is? It's the 30% take rate that they have on all the apps and, and, and digital goods you're buying uh, on the app store. So this concept of GMV spans a very wide spectrum of platform business Um, for businesses that have advertising revenue as their primary source of revenue. It's not as applicable. Um, There are exceptions like Alibaba, which has a marketplace, but they primarily have an ad driven business. Uh, So it's not black and white, but the point is we're going to be filing this petition. What I would have loved to um, hear from Dara is his, is is why did they feel so strongly about disclosing this information versus um, some of their other competitors? And why is it important? Um, Why do they continue to do it? You know, What are the pros and cons? How do they go about making that decision internally? This was clearly a, uh, I mean, they could see the signaling from Lyft that Lyft said, hey, we're going to, Lyft was disclosing this information pre-IPO. They stopped disclosing it post-IPO and they let investors know that. That was clearly a calculated decision because I think Lyft is fearful. But the point is that Lyft can now show revenue growth and they can say, hey, we're raising our revenue uh, our, our revenue projections. But you don't know why. Is it just because they're going to take two more points of take rate, but their business is actually plateaued in terms of a gross throughput standpoint? You just don't know. And it's not fair uh, to investors. So we're going to be filing this petition. If you have a thought on it um, or you'd like to uh, pile on, then let us know. We're going to be publishing more on this. And um, yeah, that's it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us on Winner Take All. I will talk to you tomorrow.